this morning. God's going to do awesome things through your life. And as you're connected to Ignite, he's going to do awesome things through you at Ignite. And I'm excited about the whole combination of those things going on together. Um, I'm getting used to Two weeks ago I said uh, we're getting used to kind of blessing after blessing. And last Sunday, uh, each week, it's it's tough. I tell Brendan, I said, like, it felt so full last week that you, there's always this pressure for a pastor. Once you hit a new high, there's this pressure to keep it there. And I feel that pressure very, I mean, most of you would say, I don't worry about that. We'll just, just, just do what the Spirit calls you to do. But there's a sense that you, you that's, that's the new expectation, right? And, and man, was uh, Dr. Franklin's presentation last week amazing. Uh, if we can get uh, him up there on the screen. Thank you, Susan. Um, so those that don't know, we had a, a doctor friend of mine from Uganda come out and share a little bit about his ministry, Jungle Medical Missions, Uganda. Incredible stuff he does. Uh, born and raised in Uganda, he is uh, not another white European or Western face that goes over to Africa and tries to do good over there. He is somebody that was born there and says, recognize the need that he could meet by going through training as a doctor, so he did just that. And you, if you heard his story about how the, God used even that rebel leader in his mother's life who was dying of cancer uh, to pay her medical bills and ask Franklin, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, a doctor. Uh, and then he did. He became a doctor, worked himself through school, and all the all the the story that God was weaving together through his life, uh, with all the details that he shared, uh, I was uh, I was impressed uh, by his presentation, even though I knew most of it. Uh, still brought to tears uh, hearing it again, and and uh, I, I know we have tissues on every row. And uh, who was it? Ed, I think was talking to somebody that was in here doing the work on the fire system, and said, uh, oh, "You guys cry a lot here, or what?" Oh, maybe. <laughs> no, the Spirit's just at work here, and uh, you can't help but get emotional about that. I can't help it. I wish I could. I'd stop if I could. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't want to stop what the Spirit's doing, but let's get that uh, that next screen up, the next uh, shot. I want to say something that uh, I asked Franklin. I said, uh, what did your travel cost? And, and I won't go into all the numbers, but he gave me a number. I said, was that your organization that paid that, or was that you out of pocket? He said, well, Jeff, I've been saving for a long time. I was, able to, I was able to pay for my entire circuit of flights to the U.S., all throughout the U.S., and then back home. And I was just praying that, that uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a last-minute thing. We brought him here. And I thought, man, you can't, you can't expect much to come in. What came in on Sunday paid more than paid for his entire circuit of flights to the U.S. and back home. I handed him a wad of cash I couldn't even fold. And, and I've not often seen people actually speechless. He kept trying to start talking, and he kept not being able to. You all did that. God did that through you. And it's awesome just to get to watch and be a part of it, and, and even a... Even that is, is amazing, but uh, uh, paid in full. So uh, very difficult to follow that act. Um, I'll just say this. I'm only covering three verses today. And as, uh, as you might think, that's probably going to lead to a short service. You underestimate how long-winded I can get. And the Steelers don't play today, so I don't, I don't care what time you get home. No, my Steelers got beat up literally. On Thursday night, so that was an ugly game. It was a hockey game on a football field. 
Uh, but we are glad to be back. We couldn't share the last uh, service live because of the uh, some of the sensitive uh, nature, some of the details he was sharing. Uh, but let's get the next slide up. Is uh, uh, We're going to try to show the video, but because I wanted to keep the live thing going, we're going to actually uh, just let you know that there is a link on YouTube. If you want to search that out, She's a Hero, and then type in Jungle Medical Missions Uganda, you'll, you'll come to that link. And, and a couple of you have shared that link already. If you need that, just reach out to one of us. We can get that link to you, and you can watch it. About six and a half minutes, but it really, it really takes you through kind of the, the, well, what you would have seen on Sunday. And I take full responsibility for that, that video not, not working last week. I didn't get the media time, uh, media team time to, uh, to do a dry run through, and so that's my, uh, that's my fault. We'll, we'll get that better next time. But our text today is Galatians chapter 5, not Acts, but Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, and verses 13 through 15. And a message entitled, Free to Pay It Forward. We're going to go ahead and read through the text, and then we'll, uh, we'll say a prayer uh, to open things up, and then get, get started in the message. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Kind of as we're getting used to Paul using kind of inflammatory speech, right? He was a, a master rhetorician. He was a, he was a master philosopher and master theologian. And he did not mince words. Uh, and so we're going to talk about those words here today. But let's pray first. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done. This week full of answered prayers, uh, miracles, Lord, uh, things that were outside of our control, and you, we, 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 we got on our knees and we asked you to move, and you moved. Might we never take that for granted, Lord? Might we continue to pray expectantly and kind of get used to seeing you work like that? But Lord, might we never take it for granted that you do, but appreciate each and every move of your spirit in our lives and every miracle in our lives that we see. Lord, today I just want to pray this simple prayer, Lord, that, uh, that we not waste anybody's time here this morning. Father, I believe you've given me a message today, but I need your spirit's power to bring it home to each and every person that's gathered here with each uh, a set of their own concerns, a set of their own problems back home, things they're dealing with outside of here that they probably brought inside of here, Lord. We just we just want people ministered to and loved today. Might every word that we communicate this morning, Lord, be that, loving and, and, uh, and caring for them. Lord, might you have your way with this uh, service and might your spirit be here in power with us uh, to do all that which I am incapable of doing, which is so much, Lord. We, we, are, we recognize ourselves as just clay pots in the master potter's hands. So, Lord, we anticipate you doing great things as the master potter. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our text opens up. For you are called to freedom, brothers. And we can go ahead and include sisters. In the literal Greek text, it is brothers, but we, we understand that to be a, a, a term that includes uh, all, brothers and sisters. It, it harkens our minds back to Galatians chapter 5, and verse 1, where he says, For freedom Christ has set you free. A little bit redundant, but, but they didn't get it. They, they were free in the gospel. They wanted to go back to uh, the enslavement of the law. They wanted to go back to performance-based, ritualistic, uh, competition-driven legalism. They wanted, to, they wanted to have something, at the end of the day, they wanted to have something to say, I'm proud of that stack of things that I put together. 
Don't we all do that? We all want to be proud of the things that week in and week out we've done. And it's okay to take pride in doing the right things. But then to exchange that for the cross of Jesus Christ and say, you know what, I think what I've done is good enough. You insult the finished work of Christ. And he doesn't share glory with anybody. He's the king and doesn't need to. You're called to freedom, brothers. The opposite of bondage, of slavery. Those things represented by the law. Called by whom? But when you're called to salvation, you're called by the gospel, you're called, in a sense, by two different elements. First, the element of God's sovereignty. God's involved. If you, you don't just wake up one day and think, I need Jesus in my life. The Spirit's been wooing you and working on you and, and sending people around you. So that at the right time, you see that opportunity. It's not about you. It's about the master potter, master weaver weaving together a story so that you showed up at just the right time. That person showed up at just the right time to share that amazing story with you. How beautiful the feet of those that bring good news. There's an element of God's sovereignty. John chapter 6 and verse 44 says, No one comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. But I love a few chapters later, John chapter 12, I being lifted up, Jesus on the cross, will draw all men to myself. Men and women, all people. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him in repentance. That's a word for somebody here this morning who hasn't yet done that. Somebody who's been flirting with religion and stiff-arming Jesus. I don't mind putting on that jacket that looks kind of religious every now and again, but I'm not taking on the whole thing. I'm not taking on that identity. Because then he asked me for some things. Then he asked for my life. He asked for my resources. He asked for my time. He asked me to get together with a bunch of messy people on Sundays and be messy together with them. I'm so glad you guys are messy just like me. You are, right? You're a mess. You're a mess. We're all a mess. It's a beautiful mess because God has put us together to share in each other's mess. There's an element of God's sovereignty. There's also an element of obedience. Look, God doesn't miracle you to the gospel. He doesn't miracle you. In a sense, he does, but it always comes through the obedience of somebody sharing the gospel. Every single time. So guess what? If, if God had a divine appointment set up for you, he had somebody to cross your path, and it was by divine design that you would cross their path. For an opportunity to share that good news, that euangelion, that, that gospel news, saving news of Jesus. And he said, no, not today. I'm tired today. I, I don't want to get made fun of today. I don't, I don't want to bring that up. What if it, that, were that person's last opportunity? The last bus stop before eternity for that person. And don't we know, being this close to I-55, don't we know that at any point in time, we're one breath away, one heartbeat away from eternity? Don't neglect those divine appointments that God sends your way. You also want to be careful not to force it if God hasn't set it up. Uh, sometimes, as I often say, we bruise the fruit on the vine, trying to pull it off. And we need to let God work, let the Holy Spirit continue to woo that person, to come to him. But there's an element of obedience. Paul here was obedient to Galatia. That's why the gospel went there. The churches of Galatia. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 14. I love this verse. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? If your lips aren't moving, the gospel's not coming out of it. If your feet aren't moving, the gospel's not traveling. We are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We don't get to the uttermost parts of the earth with our feet standing still content to just do things as we've always done them. To stay in the same place we've always been. To stay in our comfortable routine. We don't get there, and the gospel doesn't either. So in an amazing mix of human responsibility and and God's sovereignty, he works synergistically through us and with us to be the bearer bearer of good news to people that desperately need to hear it. And why would he set up a system like that that required us to be obedient? I don't know, but he has. And the Great Commission is not not a prompting for volunteers, but a command to a bunch of soldiers. Are you going to defy your superior officer and not share that then? I hope not. There's an element of obedience. A calling to and calls uh, implies a calling from. From what? Well, we already said from the legalism that they were tempted to embrace with those Judaizers that were bringing that in. But also, these were initially pagan people. So it was a call from the pagan world, a call away from that pagan background that they had to the one true Lord and King. Called to what? Called to freedom. Freedom from servitude-based religiosity, looking the part. We, we talked in our life group this morning about looking the part rather than being the part. Isn't it easy to get polished up on Sunday? It's so easy to, 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 to fake it in front of you guys. I would have no problem at all, except I don't want to be a hypocrite. I would have no problem at all in the human capacity to pretend in front of you every week. But that's not what God wants. God wants authentic following. Not a servitude-based religiosity or, as I like to say, competition Christianity. Always look at the person next to us and say, am I keeping up? There's a saying, are you keeping up with the Joneses? I'm going to leave them out of it. So let's let's say the Johnsons. Do we have any Johnsons here? That's actually quite amazing how common that name is, but uh, keep up with the Johnsons. Were you a... Okay, well, that, that works. But we're not called to keep up with people. We're not called to look like somebody else. We're called to look like Jesus. The author, the finish of our faith. Uh, so the call to freedom is a call to grace. And a call to end the striving to be good enough. Stop trying to be good enough. You're not good enough. But Jesus was good enough. And so it doesn't matter that you're not good enough. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. If you've made him king of your life, God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see a broken mess. He sees his son. In whom he is well pleased. Thank you, God, for that. Because I'm ashamed of myself most days. At the end of the day, I summed things up. Like, man, I really blew it there. I yelled at the kids. I wasn't as kind to my wife as I should have been. Sorry. But our call to freedom is a call to grace. To let go of that burden of trying to be good enough. And as we receive grace, we are to extend grace. Now, we should be the least offendable people on the planet. You know that? The Christian should be the least offendable person on the planet. 
Because to whom much is given, much is required. We should, we should look at the grace that we've been just been heaped on top, on top of us and said, I was nothing but then Jesus. I was nothing but God stepped in. And so as we receive grace, we should extend grace. Pay it forward, if you will. I talk about buckets of grace. My dear wife uh, coined a phrase, pockets of grace. Um, We are to be pockets of grace to people who desperately need it. That grace, when we share it, is Jesus-flavored, but people-shaped. The hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. If we are not communicating Jesus to other people with the way that we live our lives, nobody's doing it. And it's not getting done. So weeks come and go and you say, well, I just missed an opportunity. You missed a week of opportunities. That you may never get back. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Just look forward. Always look forward. You missed an opportunity last week. Don't miss an opportunity next week. Be those pockets of grace. For you're called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, Paul offers here a caution concerning their newfound freedom or opportunity. Now, opportunity is kind of a funny concept. We usually see it as a positive, right? I had an opportunity to interview for a, uh, another job. I had an opportunity to go uh, speak with somebody about a thing or an opportunity to go uh, get tickets to a, a performance of some sort. We oftentimes see opportunities as a positive thing, but that really just means advantageous to us, good or bad. And don't we sometimes use opportunities for our flesh? The same capacity that we have to do good is also a capacity to do evil, is it not? I was just in a very interesting conversation on, uh, of all places, Facebook, um, and uh, uh, a very, I guess a very interesting conversation. We were talking about uh, the, the violence that went on during the Thursday night football game. Uh, none of it anybody could condone and say that's, that's just football, right? Um, but as we were considering the, uh, where blame lies and, and uh, how uh, men and maybe in this country tend to be aggress- too aggressive, too uh, violent, I thought, yeah, but I don't, I don't want them to not be aggressive and violent. I just want them to use that in the right way. Is don't we all look at the American soldier and say, man, I'm glad he's around. Don't we, don't we look and say, you know, people, we sleep in our beds peaceably at, at night because good men stand ready to do violence on our behalf. I am thankful to God for the capacity of some men to do violent things for, for good, for the protection of people that need it. But doesn't that same capacity for good also mean the equal and opposite capacity to do very evil and, and terrible things? Abusing children and women? It does. But I don't want to live in a world where that doesn't exist because the current world requires it uh, of some to stand up and stand in the gap on our behalf. But opportunities can go one way or the other. Don't use it, he says, as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is just our nature, our sinful nature, what we are, our default mode, if you will. Think about a dog. What does a dog typically do when it's freed from a leash? He's going to run. And don't anybody tell me you got one of them well-behaved dogs who just sits there like Fido next to you. We got Spazzo. Spazzo McGee. And she's going she's gonna to take off. Squeeze out the door, do whatever she can to get free. Anybody have a dog that just sits there nicely? Good. I love you all the more for it. You do. 
Okay, I still love you, Teresa. Still love you, but I, yeah, I got to see this sometime. I got to see it. All right. When a dog goes to its nature, its nature is to want to run free and wild, right? It's default position unless trained to do otherwise. That didn't come overnight, right? There was some training that was involved in, in training out the instincts and then instead that the training would take over. He knew that they might obey their nature, their flesh, just as a dog would, to run when they had a chance. A reverting back to their flesh that Paul is concerned about. Our default mode is self-centeredness, right? Our default mode is to think about, well, how does that impact me? How is that, uh, that going to affect me, right? i got to take care of number one. I, it's one of the sayings I hate the most. You know, they'll see all those memes say, you know, don't, don't, don't cross a, a puddle for somebody who wouldn't, uh, uh, don't cross oceans for somebody who wouldn't cross a puddle for you. Yes, do. Cross puddles, cross, cross oceans for people that would spit in your face when you get there. Because that's Jesus being lived out. So yes, do. Don't be concerned about number one so much as you are concerned about that person that God has given you an opportunity to show grace to. Again, flesh is just our sinful nature or tendency to gratify ourselves in the moment, even at the cost of others or at the cost of our long-term selves. Sometimes I think our, our 10 years from now self wants to punch us in the mouth for decisions we're making today, right? Does your 10, 10 year from now self want to punch you in the mouth for something you did yesterday or today? Maybe something you think I will do today when I get home. But immediate gratification, that, that speaks to our flesh. What is it we most want in this moment right now? Ignoring what it costs somebody else or what it might cost me 10 years from now. That's our default mode. And Paul, in addressing that, he shifts the conversation from law to what's called license or licentiousness. So there's two great dangers uh, in the Christian life. There's two great dangers to try to avoid. Uh, the one is to think that Paul has been saying this whole time, to think that all the good things that I do, I stack them up and say, hey, God, take a look at this. Aren't you impressed by what I did? That's called legalism. You're, you're, you're insulting the finished work of Christ who said, you, you, no man comes to the Father but by me. And you're saying, yeah, but look at this stack of things I've done. That's legalism. Uh, on the other hand, you say people that are all about grace, and I am. I'm one of those. I'm all about grace. What's the tendency for somebody who's all about grace to drift to the other side? I can do whatever I want. Grace is big enough, right? Jeff, you're always quoting that passage in Romans where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. Yeah, sure it did. But Paul goes on to say, should I sin? Should I sin then that grace might abound? May it never be. Of course I shouldn't. Of course I shouldn't sin just to, to insult grace. It, that's what it is. It's an insult. But he, so Paul shifts the conversation from law to license. And we see that pendulum tendency that we have. Why is it so difficult to find that balance in the middle? We're always on one side of legalism or, or, or licentiousness on the other side. You need a definition. Here's, uh, here's one for licentiousness. It's not a regular word for everybody. It means disregarding accepted rules or conventions. Promiscuous, unprincipled. Just do whatever you want, whenever you feel like it. And I would say that licentiousness is every bit as dangerous as legalism. And not just to self, but to the group as a whole, as Paul will communicate in the rest of the passage here. So rather than use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to go to their default mode, Paul suggests rather that they should use their freedom in this way. He says this, but through love serve one another. 
See, opportunity so often has to do with ourselves as we see opportunity. But love, true love, is always targeted at others. Opportunity often has to do with self, but true love is always targeting other people. And it's only freedom found in Christ that allows you to be free enough to do that. You have to be a free creature to be able to love somebody truly. You're like, coerced love is not true love. If God made you love the person next to you, you don't truly love them. You do the only thing you can do, which is what God programmed you to do. But the same capacity that you have to hate the person next to you gives you the capacity to love them very dearly. So through love, serve one another. So often this requires humility. I have a couple of quotes that I love. The first one is this, often attributed to C.S. Lewis. You see the line I have through that? It's not C.S. Lewis. It's uh, Rick Warren. It says this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. You're not walking around all day thinking about you and how humble you are. I like to tell people, just joking, joking with them, of course. You know, I like to joke, right? All right. So just joking with them, I say, especially if they're starting out complimentary of me. I'll just add to it like, yeah, I'm, and I'm super humble. Which immediately means you're not, right? You can't say that you're super any, you know, super humble and actually be. Um, so true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Taking less occasion. Uh, this probably is a spinoff of another quote by C.S. Lewis. I think a little bit better. I mean, you know I like to quote C.S. Lewis. And this is kind of a paraphrase, so you won't find this exactly... Uh, on there, but it's, it comes from a book that everybody should read, Mere Christianity. I've read it probably four or five times, probably will read it seven or eight more times in my life. A great book. The only, or the truly humble man will not be telling you that of course he is nobody. He doesn't run around saying, I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody. He will not even be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And, and so we need to shift our focus away from self in order to obey this command. To love, to serve people through love. We can't be thinking about how, what's, what's in it for me, or else we won't get there. True love serve one another. True freedom properly utilized will manifest in love, displayed through service to others. That word serve one another, you know, in the Greek, what that comes from is, is a base word slave, to be a slave. So it's a play on words here in a way. But Paul's saying, hey, you used to be a slave to the law. I want you to still be a, a slave, but willingly, freely that person across the street. Look at that person next to you. Go ahead and do it. God's will for your life. You go ahead and do it. Go ahead and look at the person next to you. God's will for your life is to be a slave for their good. To be a servant for them, on behalf of them. More concerned about them than you are yourself. That's what it means to be a doulas, or slave, servant of somebody else. So think about it. What service could you be to those around you right now? What needs are you aware of that you say, you know, I could meet that. I've just chosen not to. Think about it. Take take a moment to, to think about the needs represented in this building. I know there are many. And those should be heavy on our hearts all week. How can I meet that? How can I help that need be met? It should characterize our lives as Christians, that in Christ, that's who we can't help but be. Agents of grace, pockets of grace, buckets of grace, slopping out to everybody else that we come around. 
Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm inclined to say that Paul's, he's a great theologian. He's a master philosopher. He's not much of a counter. He says it's summed up in one word. There it is. Took a second, but I count seven. So besides the fact that Paul can't count, uh, he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. <laughs> took some of me a lot longer than I expected, but but you got there, and that's the important thing. So even the law properly understood back in Leviticus was meant to manifest in love towards others. It didn't get there because it, it started being about kind of sort of competition and look at me and I'm doing all this stuff, following all these rules. When it was really supposed to point people back to each other to love one another. And this isn't the only place we see a summary statement like this about love and the law. Look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. In everything then, do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this is the essence of the law and the prophets. That expression, the law and the prophets, was meant to communicate all of it. It was an expression they used to just communicate all the dictums, all the teachings of the law, the whole accepted Hebrew canon, all of it is summed up in this statement, treat the person across from you like you want to be treated. But man, isn't that hard to do? The golden rule? It's very difficult to do. Jesus, again, when he was asked what the greatest commandments were, what did he say in Matthew chapter 22? The greatest was to love your Lord, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But uh, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't have to be trained to love ourselves, right? We kind of default there. And so we don't need any extra training or guidance with that. So it just says, well, it's very simple. The way that you care for yourself, care then for the person next to you, your neighbor. Paul, of course, uh, states it here in Galatians, but elsewhere in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Be indebted to no one, except to one another in love. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. You just do that simple thing. The, the, the biggest difficulties in Christianity are not understanding theology. I don't know why it took me so long studying theology to come to the conclusion that the greatest truth I could possibly understand was just to love my neighbor as myself. And I think sometimes I studied theology to avoid that simple conclusion that I just needed to start doing it. Anybody else there? I love studying theology. I do. But the simplest truths in Christianity are not difficult to understand. They don't require a degree in theology. They require a a willingness, a submission to the truth that's so easily understood. Love your neighbor as yourself. A couple verses later, Paul would say again, Romans 13, verse 10, Love does no wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what's then the danger of not loving our neighbor as ourselves? You might be tempted to think, well, just complacency or apathy. I don't need to positively go out and actively love my neighbor. I'm not going to be hurting them if I don't. That's actually the reality that Paul's getting to. And just as I've said in the past about no middle ground, you, you stand in an ocean and try uh, face away from the shoreline and try your best just to stand still and wait there half an hour and then look back at the shoreline. How far have you drifted? A long ways, right? Spirituality is like that too. You can't stand still. 
For either you are actively obeying God's word, you're actively doing these things, these mandates to love one another, or are you going backwards? So the danger is that if you don't actively love your neighbor, you'll like, you're more likely to bite and devour one another, as the text says, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know, sometimes the greatest enemy of the church is not from without. It's from within. Who, who hasn't seen a church collapse because of infighting? Who hasn't seen a church shut their doors because people couldn't get along and decide what color curtains they should have? We fight over the dumbest stuff. And I want to minimize the enemies out there prowling like a roaring lion looking for whom he may consume. But I don't want to minimize that. But I ain't scared of that. Alright? I ain't scared of that. I'm not scared of that. I got all MTV on you and you didn't even notice uh, I don't want to minimize the fight that we fight against the enemy that we fight. But so often, we get focused on that and we don't recognize the fighting that we do amongst ourselves is more catastrophic. We know that if you're a blood-bought believer in Jesus, you know this book, you know the end of the story. It doesn't go well for him. So I, I march into places confident, boldly, not afraid of much. Not because I'm so cool, because I know who's behind me. Like a little kid who's got his big brother, he just can beat up anybody. I'm not afraid of anything. But not because I'm brave. I just look back up. Father God's got my back. And so you waltz into those things. But then what I'm not prepared for, what I'm not prepared for is that kind of snide comment I got after the service. And it just kind of eats away at me. Or that, yeah, I disagree with you on this, or that thing, or whatever. And you take it further than it was meant. And you allow it to start festering in you. and become a cancer. Before you long, if you're not careful about that, that will be the thing that destroys a church. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you're familiar with that name, uh, he wrote a book, a series of books, uh, massive volumes. I've not read through them, but aware of them. Um, called the, the Gulag Archipelago. And, and, and in it he talks about good and evil. And it'd be nice if we could. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just separate all the all the, the good people from the bad people, and the good people could live in harmony with one another, and the bad people could just go to whatever they're going to do and destroy each other? But Alexander Solzhenitsyn properly said, "The line of good and evil runs through the right straight through the middle of the heart of every human being." And so we don't have a building where you can separate the baddies from the goodies. You can't. You are both. Whatever the capacity that you have for good, there's an equal and opposite capacity to do evil. And sometimes you pull the trigger on that. The snide remark, the comment, the gossip, the slander. And actually, that's much more in tune with our nature than it is to love each other. Much more in tune with our nature. So if we're not actively loving one another, we are likely to find ourselves guilty of those things. How do we devour one another? I've already said it once, but gossip and slander probably be the most effective way. Right? Isn't it fun to just kind of share a little juicy tidbit you have with somebody nearby? We've got to crucify that in ourselves. The desire to, 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 to have a little, 
little detail you can't wait to share with somebody. That's sin, that's sin creeping up. It's already there. It's already set, set up a, a, a tent in your life. By the time you're thinking about whether or not you're going to share it, you probably already decided you're going to. I don't need to tell you that the Bible is replete with examples of how much God hates gossip and slander. Why don't you be the person that injects a little bit of positive into the situation? When somebody wants to gossip, why don't you find something you really like about that person? Or you really admire about that person? Sometimes we have unreasonable expectations of each other. Anybody been the victim there? Anybody been the aggressor there? You have unreasonable expectations of other people? Maybe expectations you haven't even placed on yourself. But you have that person better better shape up or ship out. But I, I'm not doing it. We tend to sometimes judge one another's walk by our own experiences. And so I see this life through a pair of glasses. We talked about lenses. Seeing the world through lenses. If you imagine being born with a pair of pink glasses on. If somebody said, what do you see? You wouldn't say pink. You'd say normal. I just see what I see. Until you take those glasses off and realize, yeah, I am seeing differently. Because I have them on. But we judge everybody else by the experiences God has brought in our life. We judge everybody else by the things that we've learned. Rather than say, maybe there's something else going on there that I'm not aware of. Something I don't know. We sometimes assume another person's hard time just must be a reflection of the bad choices that they've made. I know I've been guilty there. Now to be sure, there are people that make serial Serially make bad choices. And just they, the, the mess that they're in is just a, a result of one bad choice after another. But that doesn't make you the judge and jury on it. We assume other people's hard times is a reflection of that. But we're all too quick to give ourselves ample excuses when we mess up. And take credit for our own successes, don't we? All of this, all these things we share, there's a, there's a litany of other things we could share. But don't have the time this morning. All this leads to an unhealthy body of Christ. And too often people end up walking away for entirely wrong or avoidable reasons. I want to avoid that here at Ignite, like the plague. If we could just commit to every time somebody wants to tell you something negative about somebody else, you stand in the gap for that person. You say, well, actually, before long, they won't come to you anymore. They don't have a safe space to go. You're not, you're not a place that they, they see as a place you can, you can bring that. It's so easy as a pastor to compartmentalize everything. It's like, well, I'm the pastor, so i got to know these things. Go ahead. <laughs> but I have to watch myself, too, because sometimes I do need to know about things. And other times, I'm just in my flesh, just, just loving every bit of knowing everything. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I said a lot of people will walk away from the church. Listen to some of these reasons that people have given. Uh, Tom Rayner, if you don't know that name, he's a, uh, he was a pastor for a long time, and now he does studies on uh, church health, church culture. He, he talks a lot about what makes a church thrive, what makes a church close its doors. And these are some of the reasons that he had people submitted to him for why they walked away from the church that they were in. Let me just start by saying it can't be about you. And that's what all these things are about. The first one. The worship leader refused to listen to me about the songs and music that I wanted. 
Here's one I've heard before. The pastor didn't feed me. Were you ever concerned about feeding anybody else? Or is it just about you? Now, we all need to be fed. We do. It's one of my main roles here. But it can't just be about... We become fat Christians if we just always are absorbing, always taking in, always uh, sponges but never conduits, never sending it back out. Here's another one. No one from my church visited me. One of the great pains of being a bivocational pastor is that I can't see all of you as much as I want to. Just know that 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 shatters my heart each week. I think about it all the time. But I got other things to balance too. And so know that there will be times when you wanted me to visit and I couldn't. Maybe I wanted to visit and I couldn't because I had to prioritize something else. But that happens even amongst each other. They didn't visit me. Here's one. I was not about to support that building program that they wanted. It's always I, 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 me, 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 they, they, they. It's adversarial from the beginning. I was out two weeks and no one called me. They moved the times of the worship service and it messed up my schedule. I told my pastor to go visit my cousin and he never did. Now all of these were personal gripes, not necessarily to be blown off, but all of them except for that last one was about self. Right? We don't take opportunities for the flesh. Once we've experienced freedom in Jesus, we don't just look to heap Keep it, you know, bigger, bigger in piles of grace. We look to be conduits of that grace to other people. To be others focused. In addition to them being selfish, none of them had anything to do with biblical mandates. I challenged somebody this week to think about all the things he was talking about, services he didn't like. He didn't like the kind of contemporary move of the, of the church in the U.S. And he was rattled off a number of things he didn't like. I said, well, I want, you, I want to challenge you on that. How many of those things came from the Bible? Were they just preferences you don't like? Traditions that you've upheld? Higher, you've upheld those traditions higher than God's word. What must characterize Ignite Christian Church is an other's focus. Born out of a biblically grounded desire to obey God's design and desire for our church. Above all, Through love, we must seek to serve one another, seeing our freedom in Christ, not as an opportunity for the flesh, but an opportunity to pay it forward, to be pockets of grace to all those that we encounter. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, before we sing this last song, I just pray that uh, your word, as you said, would not return void. I thank you in advance for that. Lord, with all my limitations, with all the limitations of all of us represented here today, Lord, me to speak and them to listen. Lord, I just pray that uh, your word would find fertile soil in their hearts so that whatever they were in need of this morning, they got. If it was a challenge, they got challenged. If it was a feeling of love and embrace, they got that. Lord, if it was healing, maybe that. And we'll just trust your spirit to do that the remainder of our service. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and sing this last song with us?